This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and welcome to a very special match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin. Perhaps the biggest game in Minnesota United's MLS history is upon us as they go to Kansas City for a place in the conference final. The winner of that, of course, will play either Seattle Sounders or FC Dallas in the Western Conference final. We'll talk all about that a little later on alongside the assistant manager of Sporting KC, Kerry Zavagnan. First, though, Kindred E. St. Alban. Wow, we've got a lot to break down. It's been a while since we last spoke, so let's get straight to it, shall we? The breaking news this Tuesday morning. Greg Vanny, after seven years at the helm of Toronto FC, no longer the head coach of the Reds. What's your immediate reaction to this? Well, I mean, I think I was pretty shocked because, you know, when I sent you guys the note, um, you and our producer Morgan Lubin, the note about this, you know, I was literally running errands this morning and it popped up on my phone and it was one of those where like, hey, we got to, we got to send this right away because this has to be talked about. But my, my second reaction was, was it his choice or the club's choice? Because I think that makes a big difference in kind of how people read into this and what the future of Toronto might be or what the future of Greg Vanny might be. And I reached out to a couple of people trying to find out sort of, hey, what do we think the next move is? Where is Greg Vanny headed? What does the future hold for him? But you would think sky's the limit for what he did with Toronto. I mean, they were a blundering, you know, abysmal club before he entered the fray and he really turned that thing around. And he did everything you pretty much can possibly do with Toronto, except when CONCACAF Champions League, which in which he got to the final and lost in penalties. Um, so I think that, you know, this is what a legendary um, head coaching job for him in Toronto. And, and hats off to him and good luck in the future, whatever that might be. Um, I, too, have also reached out to a few people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about that here shortly. But you, you have to think about what TFC were when he took over. They, this is a club that hadn't ever made the postseason. They'd never appeared in the playoffs when Vanny took over in 2014. And then five of the next six seasons were all in the postseason. As you mentioned, they got to the CONCACAF Champions League final, um, lost out to Matias Almeida and Chivas Guadalajara. Um, but I feel like all of MLS was behind them on that particular day rooting for it. It was the best chance MLS had had to, to get anywhere near that trophy. MLS Cup final twice, MLS Cup winner. There was an abundance of Canadian championships as well. He completely turned them around. Um, so the interesting thing is here is, is that you, what you bring up there, Kay, in terms of what his next step is. Because I'll be totally honest, when, when you think of Greg Vanny and Toronto FC over the last seven years, I thought to myself, this is set now, and he may very well go on and be the next Peter Vermees type coach you know the mm-hmm. the hard-nosed North American coach that no doubt he has an abundance to play with uh, in terms of players and, and financial gain and whatnot but I thought that he was set for a long long time at Toronto FC and it, it, it does seem as though according to the Toronto FC press release that Greg Vanny decided to step down from his role now, we knew it was a contract year as well, which you and I have discussed on this podcast previously. My assumption here, and we have no um, prior knowledge of this, is that those discussions haven't worked out. 
my other assumption is that maybe during these conversations, he's also got a knock on his door from somewhere else. Again, purely speculation, but I, I have been told this morning, unsurprisingly, that conversations with LA Galaxy have already started. And that's not really a surprise. To my knowledge, he is a Californian kid, um, closer to home. It wouldn't surprise me if that move comes to pass over the course of the next few weeks. Again, <laughs> we have to stress, this is pure speculation. We're only going off what we've, what we've heard from people uh, and sources. Nothing's been confirmed anywhere other than Greg Vanny has left Toronto FC. Um, Kendra, he, regardless of where he goes next, it's going to be a massive coup for whoever brings him in. And I think the, the other thing, too, that, you know, at least I underestimate sometimes with coaching jobs and in any sport is sometimes I think a coach just feels like, look, I've done I've taken this as far as I can take it. And it's just time for a change, whether it's for him, whether it's for his family, whether it's for the club, you know, and I think, you know, Toronto faltered a little bit this season. And I believe it was the start of last season as well. Was it last season when they got crushed in CONCACAF Champions League early? And we were like, what is going on? Is Greg Vanny's job at risk? You know, but they righted the ship. This year, they didn't right the ship quite as much. I mean, they were still near the top of the table of the East and in the Supporters' Shield conversation. But that's kind of the standard now that they've held for themselves to be there consistently. But then losing to Nashville one nothing in a not-so-great performance. I just wonder if he's just saying, you know what? It's it's time for me to move on. So we don't, we don't, I don't know if it's not enough money was offered or if it was like his mind was maybe in a contract you're already made up that it was just time for him to move on. And I wouldn't be shocked. And we all know this business is like 98% you know, timing. The fact that the Galaxy job is open, the fact that he was out of contract, the fact that you know he's a California boy, it's just all the things coming together at the right time and time for him to move on and just a change needed to be made. Um, so, you know, again, like congratulations to him for what he's done with that club. I think Toronto is forever grateful for what he's done for that club. He really put them on the map and not to discredit the players, but things turned around when he took a hold of that club um, and good luck to him in the future. And I'll be really curious to see what he does going forward. And is it an MLS job? Is it, does he get in a, a you know, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I want to say, I was going to say maybe a, a national team at some point mix, but I don't see that happening. For, well, clearly not for the U S men's full senior team, but with the, the talent they have coming through the ranks, but I, I could see the LA galaxy thing happening and we all know they need some help. And you bring up a good point as well, Kay. I mean, maybe he tries his luck on foreign shores as well. I mean, look, if any American coach right now should give it a go, it should be him with the resume he's got, surely. Yeah, and the, and the way it is now, I mean, these MLS coaches, well, first of all, a lot of them are foreign that are coming here. But yes, an American coach going abroad, dealing with the amount of international players and the different backgrounds and the different leagues these players are coming in from, it's not like they're unfamiliar with what needs to be done on another level overseas. And now that the blueprint has kind of been laid by Jesse Marsh, um, I could see that being a possibility. And it, again, it goes back to a little bit of family, a little bit of what his next step, his goals are, and what his end game is, um, and and what kind of move he wants to make. So he either kind of goes home to Cali, or maybe he goes overseas, or maybe he takes a year off. I mean, who knows? I think that the beauty of it is for him is that it's really kind of in his hands at this point. This isn't a doesn't sound like a forced decision on him. No, he's forty six as well. He's got plenty of time to be a manager for the next twenty thirty years if he wants to as well. Um, one question before we move on to, to what we think Toronto will possibly do. It says, as we said earlier on in the press release, that Greg Vanny decided to step down. You, you said earlier on, Kay, that 
it was perhaps um, a timing thing Do, and that you felt as though maybe Greg Vanny had taken the club to where he could take them. Do you think he felt that or do you think Toronto FC felt that? I think he probably felt that. Um, and that's just purely speculation. Just right. my gut instinct is that it would be a his decision rather than a club decision, or maybe in conversations, you know, as they've had these talks and, and the way their season ended, maybe just, a, a, you know, again, a time to move on. I, I find it hard to believe um, that Ali Curtis, you know, went to him and made that decision. And maybe it was just a thoughtful conversation, you know, between adults and just saying, Maybe it is. Maybe this is the one time it actually is legitimately a mutually agreed apart ways. I know we see that a lot, and we're like, okay, that's not really what happened. But maybe both parties, after you know having a conversation, just agreed that this was best for both going forward. And and he's had the resources. I mean, it's one of the highest spending clubs in MLS, so he's not like he doesn't have money to to play with and hasn't had. But to his credit, I don't think it was that way when he took over the head coaching job either. You know, I don't think they were the highest spending club at that time, but um, I, I, my guess is that it was his decision, but I'm sure things will come out as we move forward here in, in the next week or so. Yeah. One more question about this, because I've just looked at my watch and looked at how long we've spent talking about this, um, <laughs> which is unsurprising, but um, you mentioned Ali Curtis there, mm -hmm. the GM of Toronto FC. How much pressure is now on him, given the reputation that Toronto FC currently have now and how the club has completely changed? How much pressure is on him to get the right man in charge? And, and what does Toronto do? Do they go and, and go forward and try and get a big name? Or do they do something completely left field and, and try and get, you know, uh, if they go for a domestic coach, okay, it, it's got to be somebody with a humongous reputation. You know, do, do they go and try and do something that what they tried to do with Adrian Heath years ago when he was at Orlando and try and get one of the better coaches in the league, maybe someone like Peter Vermees, for example, you know, do they try something as outlandish as that or do they go foreign and try and get a big name and how much pressure is on Ali Curtis to get the right man? I think there's a ton of pressure on Ali Curtis to get the right man. And it's not just because of the success that they've had, just because of the way the league has grown. And now the pressure to win right away in this league, I think, is more you know prevalent than ever. And the fact that Toronto is one of the bigger spending teams and you look at who is on that roster and who they brought in and and the fact that they what did they just they just declined the option or, you know, on Piatti, I mean, just one of the best designated players. I know he had four goals, four assists on the season. It was shortened. But things that Toronto have done to make themselves better. So I think there's a ton of pressure on Ollie Curtis to get the right man and get it right away, or get the right person, I should say, for that I matter. I was just about to say, actually, yeah. I want to correct myself here and say the right person because yeah. I want to see Jill Ellis get an opportunity yes, in this league yes. at some stage. Yeah, it would be curious. You know, Laura Harvey is another one who I've always loved. I know it's NWSL, but she got to look for the um, the women's national team job back in the day. She she kind of holds her own. But, you know, I just think that um, to me, it's always just the right person for the right job. It doesn't matter. I, I don't want to say like, oh, it has to be international. It has to be domestic. I do think that it has to be a person with a reputation that, of winning and of 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 doing the right things with the right roster, but ultimately it's the right person for the right job. And if for some reason it's, if it's a name we've never heard of, I've never heard of Gerhard Stuber, you know, but he might carry the Red Bulls to the next MLS cup final. I mean, I've never heard of him. I'm sure some people have, but that was a surprise to me. So I don't think we can just peg it based on, their their name or what team they're coming from i think mls is a different animal and even the biggest name coaches sometimes don't do well here so it's just the right person for the right job and the right fit and the pressure is on ollie curtis to figure that out 
intrigued to see what Toronto FC do in the next few weeks. We'll keep our eye on that for sure. Let's move on to MLS playoffs, shall we, Kendra? Uh, let's quickly talk about some of the results over the last few uh, days, shall we? Columbus Crew uh, beating Nashville. Nashville having a fabulous expansion campaign. The Revs and Bruce Arena advancing over Orlando, so it'll be a Crew and Revs Eastern Conference final. Uh, Seattle up against FC Dallas in the other Western Conference semi-final. Your overall thoughts on, on what we've seen, first of all, on the Eastern Conference? Well, first of all, I mean, I want to really try to talk about the games and not the officiating because <laughs> I think that, you know, the, the refs are usually doing their jobs when they're not the topic of conversation. And there were some crazy things, I think, in in these games leading up um, to what we're getting to now in the um, well, Western Conference semifinals, but finals, whatever it might be, Eastern Conference. I, I mean, hats off to Nashville and Gary Smith and what he did there, not only as an expansion side, um, but also in the season that we had um, for MLS with the craziness of it. I think that I was shocked that if we go way back, you know, that Philly losing New England to New England, I get it. New England is a great team and that's kind of what Bruce Arena does. He finds a way to win in the postseason. But the way Philadelphia had the run, the supporter shield, there's a lot of pressure, though, coming off that and the attention that was put on Jim Curtin in the club. Um, you know, nothing else really surprises me. Orlando City, you know, losing to New England again. It's Bruce Arena. He finds a way to win. It's on the road. They had fans in the stands. It was like a packed house. And a credit again to Oscar Pereja. I think he did a fabulous job with uh, this Orlando City side. I think, <clears throat> you know, I think we could probably all agree going back to the officiating that Nani probably has gotten a little more leeway than he ever, than any player ever should in his dealing with the officials. And I told you the other day, I said he should probably never take, take a, a penalty again. Like, yeah. I know you're the big name player, but winning is winning. And at some point, you know, you got to put the ego aside and say, we got, we got to put a guy in that makes it. Um, you know, it was funny. My daughter said to me the other day, the Orlando city game was on. He's like, she's like, you know, who my favorite player is. And I'm like, Nani is 17. She's like, no, it's down from that. I go 16. I don't even know who 16 is on Orlando. And she's like, no down from that. I, she goes 15. I'm like, who's that? She's like, it's Schlegel. <laughs> the goalie. I'm like, how did you remember that? Because we watched that whole penalty debacle um, together. So I think Orlando City has made a name for themselves with Oscar Brea. They know what they're doing. But hats off to Bruce Arena, you know, and Columbus Crew just doing Columbus Crew type things in that second half against Nashville to advance. Yeah, I think the less we talk about that crew Nashville game, the better, really. Uh, we're never going to get that uh, near two hours back of our lives, are we? Either way, uh, Columbus crew victorious over Nashville SC. And uh, this is the one thing which which I think a lot of people are underestimating as well, Kay. I, I said this, I had a conversation with a friend of mine a, a, couple of, um, a couple of days before the Revs-Orlando game. You cannot count out the Revs with Bruce Arena. Bruce Arena has done this a million times. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some coaches that just know how to win in certain situations, in certain environments, and he gets his players to play a certain way and, um, you know, to follow what he's, he's by what he's selling, basically. And somehow in these situations, and he's done it everywhere he's gone, except for maybe the U.S. men's national team um, in this last, this last iteration. But I think there's just something about him getting the most out of his players or having the right 
I don't even know what you call it. I don't even know if there's any sort of tactical genius there, or it's just that he's got this reputation of knowing how to win in the big games and the players step up. I mean, not to discredit also the roster that he's got. I mean, New England Revolution have done a pretty fabulous job of adding some real quality players. And you and I were texting about it um, during the last game. And, um, you know, they've come together at the right time. They've gotten hot at the right time. They have the momentum at the right time. And, Quite honestly, I think that's what playoffs and postseason are all about. Even if you sneak in as the last and lowest, most terrible seed, you still have a chance to win it because nobody knows what's going to happen in the postseason. And New England are are kind of flying high at the right time, and Bruce Arena has that team clicking. Would be so 2020, wouldn't it, if an eighth seed New England got to MLS Cup, wouldn't it? Mm. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Seattle-Dallas, Kay. Obviously, the winners of this will play. The winners of Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota United. What are you expecting at CenturyLink Field? First of all, I'm kind of shocked that Dallas is there, to be honest. Um, I think that they come away with a win at Portland, which is a difficult place to play, as we know. Um, and Portland clearly has some detrimental injuries um, to their roster, but been there, done that. And Savarese seemed to have his team playing at the right time. But um, they came away with a win. Luchi Gonzalez, you know, after they how we saw them here, with a 3 nothing victory for Minnesota United, I would not have thought that they would go on the road and win at Portland. Now, the Dallas-Seattle game, I mean, I'm picking Seattle. I, I just don't know how. And we talk about momentum and Uncle Mo and getting, getting things going in the right direction at the right time. But, you know, Seattle, uh, once again, clicking um, on all cylinders. They were completely in the control of that game over LAFC. I mean, LAFC didn't have a sniff at hardly anything in that match. Their problems continue to be exposed, I think, um, in their roster. And Seattle has got everything going in the right way, in particular in their attack. I still think their defense is a little suspect. But I, uh, from an attacking midfield standpoint, I just don't know how that, you know, and as long as you have Stefan Fryingle, regardless of what your defense does, I think he can make up for a lot. Um so I just think Seattle's going to crush in this game. I really do. I, I would guess it would be maybe a similar, like a 3-1, again, like the LAFC game. But I think Seattle's just flying high. This, assuming everybody's healthy, I think they'll win this game easily. Yeah, we should also note we are recording on Tuesday morning the Western Conference semifinal between the Sounders and FC Dallas is this evening. So apologies if you're listening to this later on in the week. We don't know the scoreline, obviously. So we'll wait and see. Um, what about this forthcoming game then for Minnesota United, Kindle? We'll spend the next segment with the assistant coach of Sporting Casey, Carries of Agnan. But what about from a Minnesota United point of view? It seems as though, to our understanding, the roster will be a lot more familiar and a lot more of a, we'll have a lot more of a first-team look about it compared to previous weeks. Look, this is what I'll say about this is I almost feel like you have to throw every stat about Minnesota United at Sporting Kansas City out the window for this game. And I thought Dan Terhar from our radio broadcast made an excellent point in the postgame show following the last Minnesota United win against Colorado saying, look, guys like Reynoso have no idea what's happened at Sporting Kansas City. You know, so I think I know I know they played the one game there and they lost one nothing. And even that starting lineup was not the the full strength starting lineup for Minnesota United that we are, you know, have been accustomed to seeing the last three or four or five weeks here. So I think that the fact that they're winless there, the fact that they've only scored one goal there, all that kind of stuff. I think 
um, that this is a point for Minnesota United to carry the momentum from that Colorado Rapids game, a game which I fully thought was going to be much closer, possibly go to penalties, kind of a grind it out, and Minnesota just convincingly crushed the Colorado Rapids' hopes of getting any farther in this postseason after what they've endured. And so handily with the front four and Robert Lud playing as a false nine and their creativity going forward, these are all problems that, you know, Kansas City has not seen from this team. And so I think you just got to carry the momentum, carry that confidence, and, and continue on to this pre- Peter Vermees side that I think is going to be nervous about playing this this Loons club. I think it's completely different than any club they faced, in, in, even in 2020. I, I was going to say, I, I've said this on the post game, and I've got to stick with it now. Um, I think the intimidation factor that has existed when you mentioned Sporting Kansas City away is nowhere near as large as what it has been in previous years, Kendra, and predominantly because of the roster now Minnesota United have at their disposal. Not taking anything away from Kansas City, it's still going to be a very difficult place to go, but Minnesota United perhaps now seem the most equipped they ever have done to go and get a victory down there. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what Peter Vermees has probably been gaming, game planning for since the last game, since the last uh, since the Colorado game where Minnesota came away with the win and, and Sporting Kansas City was determined that that's who they were going to be playing, is is trying to game plan for Reynoso, Robin Lood, Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley, whoever you might have out there, as we saw in the last um, the last game with the attacking front four, and then who everybody's healthy, Hassani Dotson, you know, Ja'Cory Hayes available, you got Ozzy Alonso available, Roman Metinier hopefully back in the mix. All these things that I think that he's used to the back line. Peter Ramiz is used to and familiar with that back line, except for maybe the exception of DeBassi, although he did play in that Kansas City game. I think the rest of it is is kind of a, a crapshoot for Peter Mees and try to stop that front four. Try to stop any of those really. I mean, like Adrian Heath told us yesterday with the media availability, saying you're going to stop Emmanuel Reynoso is one thing. Actually doing it is another. And so you may know what they're going to do, but they could still do it to you when they're you're that good. And I think Reynoso has proved that time and time again. So all the other stats – just throw them out the window, even though I've got them all written down right here. <laughs> I've got them all written down, and I'm sure we'll use them in the broadcast. But the point is, is the players need to throw it out the window, go in with confidence, riding high, and you know, play like they know they can play. And I think they could very well get a victory in one of the most important games in the history against Sporting Kansas City. Before we go to break, Kane, now Minnesota have themselves a playoff victory under their belt, obviously beating Colorado Rapids fairly comprehensively in the last rounds. What can they take from that experience into this game in Kansas City? Same kind of thing as confidence and momentum. I mean, how many times did Adrian he say that in the media availability yesterday? It's all about the confidence and going in there. I mean, we can talk tactical and we could talk to players that were on the pitch and we just talked a lot about the front four and what they're able to do and holding down the midfield and winning that battle and stopping Johnny Russell and stopping Gerso Fernandez. But more importantly, take that mindset that you went into that Colorado game with to get a decisive victory to move on when your second playoff game in the history of Minnesota United to advance out of the first round and and still carry that into Kansas City because that's really what it's going to take. you got to walk into Children's Mercy Park, Children's Mercy Park like you own the place. You know, sometimes you act like you you belong there. No one will know the difference. And I think that's what Adrian Heath is going to tell his team is you got to act like you belong and just t- walk in there like you own the place. Don't be intimidated by anything about sporting Kansas City and the history there and take that swagger on the road. And I think there's enough quality 
leaders on this club that will impart that on this team and in that locker room heading out of that match that they will believe it and they should because after that Colorado win so convincingly, you know, I think they kind of quieted Colorado right down, you know, and, and I think they should do the same in Kansas City. Okay, intriguing stuff. We'll continue our match preview podcast after the break with the assistant manager of Sporting Kansas City, Kerry Zavagnin. That's next. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. And we are delighted to be joined by the assistant manager of Sporting Kansas City, Kerry Zavagnin. Kerry, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Very well, Cal. Always good to join you guys. Appreciate your time. Really, really do. I know you don't have a lot of it, although you do have an extra day now because of the, <laughs> the schedule being moved. So there we go. First of all, before we talk about the game, a game that I think is quite rightly being identified as, as the biggest in Minnesota United's MLS history. Let me ask you about the breaking news this Tuesday morning. Greg Vanny, no longer the head coach of Toronto FC. What are your immediate thoughts there? Uh, very surprised. Uh, Greg's built such a great uh, program up there. Obviously, uh, a club that's rich in, in championships now uh, after getting off to a tough start in MLS. But he and the staff have righted the ship along with the organization. They, they are perennial contenders, and, and a lot of that credit has to do with Greg. So very surprised that he would leave the project at this point, obviously, for his own reasons and the best interests of himself and the club. But it'll be interesting to see if and where uh, he ends up next because a, a manager that has those kinds of credentials with that kind of experience and, and, and a proven track record is certainly a wanted commodity around the league, and, and, and for that matter, likely a big club. I, we did say in the previous uh, segment, actually, Kerry, um, no doubt Toronto FC have had an abundance of cash to, to do what they've done. But there were similarities to your project in Kansas City in the sense that, you know, Greg Vanny was there for seven years and I fully expected him to go on for several more years. Agreed. And that's uh, probably one of the biggest surprises. Usually when you leave a club, it's because the project is over or even more likely you've underperformed. Uh, and that's quite the opposite of what he has accomplished uh, in his tenure. He's only gotten better and, and, and the club has only gotten better. So from that perspective, it's, it's a little bit of surprise. Um, and obviously from the outside, we can all say it wasn't due to a performance um, on the field. So uh, seven years is a long time. Uh, we know what it's like in Kansas City to be in one place for, for a long time and to build a program and not to be uh, a mercenary, if you will. And that, that looked to be the path that Greg was on uh, of being more of a builder uh, and, and a, a stalwart in a club that, that is uh, on the cusp of even more success. So, uh, yeah, my, my first initial thoughts are surprise. Like you mentioned, Kerry, seven years is a long time. Ten years is longer. That's so long <laughs> yourself and Peter Vermees have been at the helm at Sporting Kansas City. How has 2020 and you guys finishing at the top of the Western Conference, how has that compared to previous years over the last 10 seasons? Tough to say there's more satisfaction. And I wouldn't go as far to say that because I, I think when you look at the product uh, of what we've been able to put on the field relative to our counterparts, uh, we've gotten results. Uh, we've progressed with the group. We survived and advanced the, the challenges of, of the MLS's back tournament. 
the uncertainty of the season and now find ourselves at the top of the West as the regular season ends. There's certainly room to pat ourselves on the back to having survived this season uh, in the manner that we did. But I think from a purist standpoint, wanting more um, has always been our mindset. And so I don't think it's probably the best team we've ever had, but there's, there's consideration that it could be the most resilient group we've ever had. And that bodes well uh, if you're going to win anything in this league. Well, and I remember talking to you at the beginning of the year about what 2020 was looking for, like for you guys because 2019 was not up to the standard that you guys have sort of set for yourselves. So not only are you top of the table in the Western Conference in a crazy wonky 2020, but also just redeeming yourselves from a 2019 performance that you were hoping was a blip in the radar. What has been the key to the success this year? You just said it's maybe not the best roster you've had. What has been the, the key to your success? I, I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, the, the simple answer would be that uh, we made some key acquisitions that have gone on to produce on the field with Kinda, with Polito, with Kunsic. So uh, good acquisitions in the offseason. But I think a renewed sense from the existing group that was here, a, a renewed motivation to, to make 2019 uh, more of a blip on the radar, as you say, uh, a renewed commitment. But we, when, when we now are able to look in hindsight and evaluate even better now the 2020 season, uh, as much as you didn't want to use it as excuses, there were we had a tremendous amount of injuries. Uh, we had a tremendous emotional ride through Champions League um, that, that we put so much into that the fight and the spirit along with the injuries as we got to the, to the midway point, I think really were contributing factors. And in terms of the, 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 the culture, the core, the, the way we do things around here, um, I think 2020 has shown that that is able to stand its test of time. And that 2019 is more of, as you said, a blip on the radar. Talking of emotions and standing the test of time, can you talk us through what on earth it was like to be on the sidelines for the last game against San Jose Earthquakes, <laughs> it was entertaining from a neutral's point of view, Kerry. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll start from the end and work backwards. I, I, I remember going through the penalty kick shootout, and, and not not to say that uh, it doesn't, you know, bring butterflies in your stomach and anxiety and nerves, but I was standing next to Peter in the same spot that we've been so many times before in a penalty kick shootout, probably MLS Cup 13 being the most uh, glaring example, but we've had. Uh, open Cup championships, playoff champion or playoff games that we've had to go. Open Cup games we've had to go into penalty kicks. So it was a very familiar environment that to be in. Um, almost that I looked over and said, do, "Do you believe we have to do this again?" Um, and and so it was a muted anxiety, if you will. But I, I can't give enough credit, and we can't give enough credit, not only to our players that were able to overcome. I I think the the psychological impact of basically getting scored on the last kick of the game and having to work through that overtime period. Um, and then to show up in the, in the penalty kick shootout and put the balls away the way they did. And then obviously Tim Melia, you have a better than 50, 50 chance when he's in goal in a penalty kick shootout. So that, that was a great way to end the game. San Jose was a incredibly difficult opponent to play against. Um, I think they have a unique way of playing. And so the challenges of, of navigating through that game um, were, were immense for us. Uh, I think the home field played a part in the result. Um, 
but but look, we found a, a way again, and and two set pieces um, were the way that we needed to get uh, two of our three goals. And so we've been resourceful as we've gone down the stretch here. I think that's been one of the big reasons why we've gotten results, whether it be in a penalty kick shootout, uh, a blizzard, or any other environment that we've faced in the last weeks. It kind of feels like the way these playoffs have gone are kind of fitting for 2020 in general um, <laughs> with, the re with the results in the penalty kick shootouts. But speak to the Tim Melia aspect just a little bit more because people might be shocked to find out that, you know, he's 6-0 and in penalty kicks. And is it just his instincts? Is it something he works on a lot? I mean, clearly he probably studies the opposition before the game. But what is it that makes him so good at that? We, we have a great goalkeeper coach, right, that gets him prepared for these moments. Um, Tim is very athletic. He's very instinctive. Um, he's developed a liking for these moments. And, and I think when you look at, you know, perception and, and reputation plays a big part psychologically in these moments. And, you know, look, when he, when he comes and make, comes up big in the first penalty kick, um, there's the reputation that precedes him. And I think the opponent understands going in, okay, he's a good goalkeeper in the shootout. But when you take the first kick and he and he stops you rather convincingly, I think that sets the tone. And so his reputation certainly helps. Uh, our reputation as a club certainly helps that we're more successful than we're not. I don't have any magic formula that this is what we do to make it happen. Uh, we just try to be as prepared as possible. We have good players out there that are executing. And at the end of the day, we know that there's going to be shootouts that don't go our way, and we don't have to look further than the Portland series, uh, which, you know, the, the, the famous post-to-post, -post, uh, we came up a little short. So it's, it's a situation we would rather not be in, but if we are, we try to be the most prepared, and we have the players that have executed. Doesn't the Portland Timbers fans name a bar after that moment? The two-post bar or something? Post-to-post, uh, -post, and I, I'd rather not dive even further into that now. <laughs> It's a wonderful moment. I remember calling it for Sky in England and just yeah. couldn't believe it. It was a, an unbelievable moment. Never seen it before. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we we'll wanted to see it again. Yeah. Um, the one point that I've been continuously making, Kerry, and I say it with all due respect to Sporting Kansas City, because everybody knows how difficult it's going to be to go down there and try and match up with Kansas City. Very few do it. Um, but I will say, I think now, simply because of the roster that Minnesota have put together and the players they now have available that have come back from injuries... The intimidation factor of sporting Kansas City away, perhaps not as large as it has been over the course of the last couple of years. How much do you put that down to the growth of Minnesota United, particularly over the last 12 months or so? I think it's a combination of that with the, the available players that they have um, at their disposal right now. I think it's also a continued uh, exposure to the environment. And, and we've been exposed to each other a number of times this year. So... To say that we know each other well is an understatement. Um, to say that they're unfamiliar with this hostile environment would be false. Um, so I don't put too much stock into uh, this is going to be a difficult environment that they won't be up for. I, I think they're absolutely going to be up for the environment. Um, the challenges will be how both teams enter the game and understanding that in a knockout game, in a one-game uh, 90 minutes plus uh, whatever you have on top of that, you have to be good on that day and in that moment. And so we're going to put ourselves out there. I know Minnesota will do the same and put our best game forward. And in the end, it's going to be the team that executes the best on that day. It's not going to have anything to do 
with the record that Minnesota has uh, in Sporting Park. It's not going to have anything to do with the players they have available or not available or Sporting Kansas City. It's going to be who executes on that day in that moment um, and is up for the task. I know you're not going to give us a, a look into the locker room with the bulletin board material, but Peter Vermees did say in his media availability yesterday that uh, Minnesota United is favored to win this game. And then one of the media members had to go, did I hear you right? Did you say that? You know, and he said, well, that's what the pundits are saying. So what is the conversation like? What, what's the conversation with the guys to not get overconfident that you're 6-0 against Minnesota United in Kansas City since they've joined the league, since they joined MLS? Well, I, I, I can guarantee you that there's there's absolutely no talk internally about the success we've had over the group because, I, I mean, it's a reality. Those games really don't matter. You can, you can have confidence that you're at home, right? But you can't take the fact, you can't take any goals, you can't take any points, you can't take any moments from those previous games and apply them to this game. So... As, as much as Pete says that, that Minnesota is favored, I'll, I'll go f- as far as to say they shouldn't be an underdog in the game uh, based on the previous results. When you, when you stack up the teams, there's quality on both sides. And so if you take it just as a game itself, there's no reason why Sporting Kansas City should be this favorite juggernaut that's playing at home that's had all this success in the past. It's one game. It's one game. Terry, what's perhaps the main issue that you foresee in this game for Kansas City? Where, from a, a Minnesota perspective, is, is attention going to be more than other areas? I, I think the challenges will be how both teams uh, establish the way they want the game to be played. And, and from that matter, look, you always have the onus and obligation when you're at home to drive the game and to make the game. Uh, and, and in knockout games, that pressure can be too much for the home team um, and, and the, the visiting team takes advantage of that. So obviously we'd like to, to be the protagonists in the game. That's no secret. It's always been the case, no matter we're playing regular season or playoffs. I understand that Minnesota poses uh, a, a great counter to that, to that idea, which is the transitional moments that they have with the players at the, at their disposal and the dangers that they can do in those moments. So, when I say that we know each other well, I think they'd be saying the same thing, that Kansas City will likely have more of the ball. I don't know if it'll be 70% or 51%, but there's probably a good chance that we would probably have a little bit more of the ball. Um, and they're going to be uh, looking for, for, obviously, the transitional moments because if you look at it, that's what's given them uh, the most success uh, in, in, in not only these playoffs, but, but in the regular season. So you don't, we don't have to look further than the Colorado game. Looking specifically at Minnesota United's roster, and you talk about the additions that they've made, um, we've talked a lot about Emmanuel Reynoso and kind of how he changes the game and the dynamic for this team and even gives his teammates confidence when they're on the field with him. Someone like a Kevin Molino, you know, who we know can be so good. What do you guys see from Reynoso in the time that he's now been with Minnesota United? I think his adaptation to the league is at a very good rate. Um, it's not easy to come into major league soccer, mind you during a pandemic, but even during a regular season for a player to come in and, and adapt, um, that quickly. Uh, I remember when he was first getting his moments in the team and usually it takes a minimum of six months. Uh, you usually write this year off and say, this will be the six month period where you 
really start to understand your teammates, understand the league, understand the culture of coming from a different place. And your next season is usually the season that you really emerge. I, I think the speed in which he has now uh, grown in his game and his team, uh, along with the confidence that he's given his teammates, has been very, very good. Um, obviously, it's not hard and difficult to tell. He's a technical player that can punish you in many different ways, uh, both through the pass and, and the finish. Um, and and he, he gives energy to the players around him, particularly in the attacking third. Also, you mentioned players that can punish you and that are technically very, very good. Peter Vermees confirming to the press yesterday, Kerry, that Alan Polito is back and available for Sporting Kansas City. Um, how does he change the way that you guys play? And particularly with the wide players as well. I know the likes of Kyrie Shelton have allowed you to go a little more direct as well. But how does Alan Polito change Sporting Kansas City? And how much of a threat is he? Well, I think you you partially answered the question there. He He's a player that uh, you can certainly play through. He drifts in, in areas of the field that are very difficult for the opponent to account for. And and he sees he sees the field. He can he can bring players into the game. He can bring guys like Russell, Gerso, Kyrie and put them in uh, a little bit more dangerous positions um, through his ability to, to, to play the ball. Uh, but not to be discounted, his ability in front of the goal uh, to, to finish. Uh, not only clear cut chances, but half chances as well. So look, he's been, he hasn't been a player we've been able to replace uh, and play exactly the same way. So with him in the game, obviously um, he gives us the ability to possess the ball more, to penetrate more through the middle part of the field. Um, and, and look, one of the key reasons we've got him was to finish off chances. And I think in his time when he's on the field, uh, he's proven his, his, uh, is dangerousness, I think, if that's a word right in front of the goal. Focusing a little bit on some other key players for you guys, and you're, I'm assuming you guys take a lot of pride in your youngsters in your academy. I know Peter has talked about that in the past, but he'll play them when they deserve to be played. But Busio and even Jalen Lindsay, you know, having to step right in. Can you talk about those two players and kind of their process and coming through and the importance of sort of grooming them into the, the senior team? Yeah, I, I think it was, a, I wouldn't say it was a dilemma. It was more of a um, accelerating the plan uh, as this season has unfolded. Obviously losing Felipe Gutierrez to, to a, a season-ending injury. Um, we, we had Roger injured uh, in, in a few moments this season. And Elie, uh, which we saw Busio take over the number six position, uh, was injured as well. So, um Busio has accelerated his uh, development, if you will, um, in that he, he proved this year that he's able to play the number six position quite well. Um, he's been very productive for us in the number eight position. Um, and then when you look at Lindsay, the season-ending injury to, to Zussi uh, accelerated the, 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 the moments that he's been given to him this year. But I give both guys credit um, in that They've been very, very consistent for us, and that's not easy to come with a young player. Um, and to manage this season um, with the amount of games that they've played and the consistency that, that they've played with, I think that bodes well for us and them in the future. Because of what 2020 has been, Kerry, obviously you've had wonderful accolades in the past with Sporting Kansas City, but... If you were to advance and beat Minnesota, where would that particular accolade stack up amongst the rest? 
I'd have to answer that question after the fact, and and I don't say that in a in in a in a coy way. I I, I think it, you can always look back on this year, and and right now I'm able to look back into March, right, all the way back to March. It's hard to look back to last week. Um, you, you can understand where you've come from when you look that far back, but obviously getting through Minnesota, uh, we understand the task at hand to advance and to play. Uh, our best game uh, would be a would be a uh, an award, a, a, a feather in our cap, if you will, at, at best. But to reflect on that and say where does that sit in our the history of our club would be very difficult to answer. I think the task is just taking it one moment at a time, one game at a time, and seeing where where we are on Friday, right? And taking taking an evaluation of Friday and understanding, okay, is this it or Who's our next opponent? And then and then taking it like that, because I think we all know uh, if we look too far in 2020, uh, we're, we're going to be surprised uh, too far ahead, too far back. We're going to be surprised. You just take it by the moment uh, as it comes and try to do your best with it. Speaking of that, looking back once Friday comes along, really win or lose. What is that? What is that moment going to be like when this 2020 does wrap up? Honestly, like win or lose, I feel like everyone's victorious just getting to this point because of the craziness. But is it like you can finally feel like you could take a deep breath? You know, what's that feeling going to be like? Yeah, you're 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 not wrong. I think when we all collectively get there, we're we're gonna and cross the tape, if you will. We're finally going to say, well, that race is over. Let's get on to the new one. Um, that that will certainly be everyone's uh, feeling, I believe. What I think is is impressive about both teams right now that we're speaking about is that we 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 never use the excuses of the season as a way of minimizing our accomplishments. And, and what I mean by that is it's easy to write off this season, easy. And and it's easy to say when, when you go into Orlando, we're in the bubble, we don't want to be here. And it's easy when the season restarts, say these games are getting canceled. You know, it's 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 no wonder we played like that because these games, how can you get any rhythm? Or we've had so many injuries because guys have had COVID. It, I, I understand that those are realities, but I don't think either team that we're talking about, Minnesota and Kansas City, have really used that as a crutch and an excuse for the season. So the fact that we're both here playing in this game is a credit to both clubs that we've been able to stand strong through these times and get results to find ourselves in these moments. So without being even more long-winded on that answer than, than I already am, I, I, I think no matter what happens from here on out, you have to be maybe not happy with how the result goes, but satisfied that you've, you, you, you've made it through all the way to this point. Just uh, one or two more for you, Kerry. Appreciate your time. We know you've got a training session to get to and whatnot. Um, Adrian Heath and now Peter Bermese have both insinuated at the very least that they feel as though the sides that they manage don't get anywhere near the respect they deserve. And, and it's, it's shocking considering the season that you guys have had and when you give them the, the history that Sporting Kansas City have had as well. At what point does this just become about geographical location and understanding that perhaps the likes of our two teams will never get the respect that the LA Galaxy and New York Red Bulls do? <laughs> Geographically, I think there's obviously similarities between us. Um, the coastal teams 
for right or for wrong. I think they're big markets. They, they, they get more of the attention and accolades, but even to an extent, they get more of the benefit of the doubts in moments and, and, and not insinuating what happens on the field, but even from a competition standpoint, uh, we, are, we are playing second fiddle on many occasions. And that includes both of our groups from a scheduling standpoint to the fact that we were the club that changed. We were, we, we were the easy game to change uh, from Wednesday to Thursday, which either team will play on short rest. We're, we're always the easy ones uh, to, to make the uh, exemption. I, I say not the exemptions. The, the, we're, we're, we're the clubs that it's easy to uh, manipulate, right? And, and to, to we're, we're, we'll usually play second fiddle to the, to the bigger markets. But at the end, I think that's what makes both of our clubs who we are. And, and I don't say that from a negative standpoint. I say that from a positive standpoint. Look, there aren't, there aren't LA teams in this moment right now. There are New York teams in this moment right now. There's two Midwestern teams in this moment right now. And I think I, I, I always root for Minnesota because of that reason, because they are very similar to us. And, and I would agree with Adrian um, that they don't get the credit that they deserve and the program uh, and the organization that they're building up there. And for sure, I, I think over the years, I think people got tired of us winning uh, from time to time uh, in a small market. And I don't say with arrogance, I just say it as a matter of fact, uh, and there's a lot of examples that I could give of things that are happening off the field, but uh, it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. Just finally, Kerry, before we let you go, what has been the biggest surprise and what has impressed you the most about Minnesota United in 2020? Oh, I, it's very difficult. To, I, I guess the surprise would be... Um, to have an injury in the center back position with, with Ike Parra too, you know, obviously we know him very well. Um, and being I, what I believe to be the cog in the wheel in the back and the, and the, the, the centerpiece uh, in the back, both through last year and into the beginnings of this year with his set pieces and his ability early in the season to overcome an injury like that um, and to still be sound uh, within your team, obviously the addition of Dibasi and, and Reynoso uh, we're very good additions. Um, but I can't say other than that, I'm very surprised at where the team is right now. Um, you know, that navigating through this season with Adrian and his staff, I think you already know the, the respect that we have here in Kansas City for what he's done uh, with the program. So not, not surprised at, at what they are um, and what they've become this year. Kerry Zavagdan, thank you for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Kerry Zavagna, the assistant manager of Sporting Kansas City. My thanks to Kindred E. St. Aubin and our producer, Morgan Lubin, as well. And you can join us on Score North on Thursday evening for Sporting Kansas City against Minnesota United. 7 p.m. we get underway. 7.30 for the television broadcast on Big Fox. Looking forward to your company. It's Sporting Kansas City against Minnesota United for a place in the Western Conference Finals.